right, this tune is called uh, Sunny Days. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in with us today, folks. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. I'm, I'm your host, Jacobus Holloway, and Chuck Martel with me in the studio, being the engineer as he is. Elsie Johnson with me in the studio. She is, uh, she has the, uh, her company is called The Learning Options, and you can work with her on all kinds of issues of learning disabilities, dyslexia, attention deficit disorder. Uh, she is also working a little bit with autism at this point, but is primarily working with nonverbal communication uh, people of that nature. And you can contact her by just going to a website, thelearningoptions.com, thelearningoptions.com. If you would like to call her, just call her at 282-7416, 282-7416, or toll free at 800 2763138802763138 we also have Ronald Davis with us sharing with us his life story about being uh, born a dyslexic and they labeled him as retarded and then how he has developed and struggled through his young life and teenage years until finally he started growing out of it uh, <laughs> what am out I of the growing? autism really out of the yeah. autism mm -hmm. and, and started to read when he was 37 so it is uh, a fascinating story and we're going to continue with that Ron Davis uh, you are with us uh, can I call you Ron or would you like to be called Ronald well uh, what happened is that my brothers had to be responsible for me wherever they went whatever they did they had to take me with them yeah. and that pretty much destroyed their childhood uh, you know what, what kind of a childhood could they have? So uh, I can understand some of the animosity that they would feel. I can understand how it is that my older brother could spend hours and hours and hours over weeks of time getting me to make a sound out of my mouth that when I did it for my mom, she would wash my mouth out with soap. Wow. <laughs> Or my, I can understand how there would be times that my brother would be so exasperated and and so, you know, <clears throat> angry that he would simply say, you know, you were a mistake that God made. You were supposed to be a monkey in the jungle, and you wound up being my, my brother instead. Wow, yeah. And he's saying this to someone who doesn't understand that you can say things that aren't true. So I, I just simply accepted that as the explanation of why I was different than other people, I that I was simply a mistake. And then later, when when I was getting the speech therapy, I, I learned how to to speak, and then I started the 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 language or the reading training that included the the phonics training. And by this point in time, I had been convinced that there was knowledge in books, and I wanted to get to the knowledge. I wanted to be able to, to have access to that, and the only way you can do that is to, to know how to read. So I, I started the, the reading training, and as, as much of a torture as it was for me to do this, I so much wanted the, the result that they were promising me that I was willing to endure the, tor the torture. But after almost a year of doing this, I, I, I just finally gave up and said, I cannot do this. This is not, no matter how hard I try, it, it's actually making things worse instead of better. And at that point, the, the doctor in the clinic where I was going, he told me that I was never, ever going to learn how to read and write. And the reason for that was that when I was being born, the doctor used instruments and he pinched my head. And he ruined that part of my brain that I would need to use to learn how to read and write. 
And I have to tell you that that was a fantastic explanation for me. That 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 what he said really explained why I was different than other people in a way that I could understand it being true. Correct. So <laughs> uh, I wanted to share this truth with my mom. Yeah. So when I told my mother, you know, the reason I can't learn how to read and write was that when I was being born, the doctor used instruments, they pinched my head. And my mom said, wait a minute. She says, that never happened. She said, your birth happened so fast, there wasn't time for instruments. Huh. And what she is saying is that, you know, I wanted to be a mistake that a doctor made. I didn't want to be a mistake that God made. I see. So I really wanted to believe that I, I had brain damage. So in spite of the fact my mother said that it wasn't true, I still believed it. Okay. And that was, you know, so I you wouldn't were, been you at were that about point. 17, 17 or 18 at this point? Actually, I had already my 18th birthday, so I was 18 when when this actually occurred. And at this but point, did, at this, yeah, go ahead, please. What it did mean was that, that regular education for me was out out of the, the question. I couldn't read and write, therefore I could not do uh, a, a normal education. But in spite of that, I became an engineer. Yes. Uh, in the 1960s, we were in a race with Russia to get to the moon. Yeah. And at that point in time, there was a, a lack of good engineers in America. Yeah. And if you could do good engineering work, you could actually be certified as an engineer without having graduated from university. Uh-huh. And that's actually the kind of engineer I am. I'm a certified mechanical engineer. Yeah. So, so uh, even though I could not learn how to read and write, uh, the intelligence was there sufficient to be able to hide it. Uh, my biggest job in life was to hide from other people the idea that I was a mistake that God had made or a mistake uh, somebody else had made, and that I wasn't a real human being. I was just pretending to be a, a normal, real human being. Yes. So I went through life pretending to not have <laughs> this horrible problem. In other words, I was hiding a very shameful secret and did not want people to know that I couldn't read or write. And, and essentially, what better way could there be to hide such a shameful secret than behind being successful? I see. So I was essentially successful in everything I attempted, be, not, not for the, the joys and the, the glory of being successful, but to hide a shameful secret. Uh-huh. And I was very good at it because no one ever discovered that I couldn't read or write. Uh-huh. So he was, and, you were creating a, sol- a solution for yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it was a it wasn't a very good solution because every moment that I was alive, it was not safe or comfortable for me to be who I really was. And as a result of that, I, I was not a happy human being. I was not a, a satisfied human being. I was always feeling like someone was about to find out something that was going to put me into trouble. In other words, I, I lived a life of feeling like I was just about ready to get a beating. I see. And that is not a good feeling. That is not a good life. Mm. Now, Ron, but, I want to ask you, uh, when you uh, gave up on the phonetics after a year with the therapist you were working with, and you talked right. to your mother... Were you, at that point, able, were you actually verbalizing that? Were you able to make full sentences and, um, and yeah. express it to you? You were. Yeah. Uh, I, almost a year earlier, I had learned to, to talk. 
and it happened in a matter of seconds. I was uh, I was involved in therapy with a, a fantastic human being, and when she got me to the point where I, I needed to stand in front of a full-length mirror and look at myself struggling to speak, I would run away from the therapy. I actually ran away from it twice. Huh. But I was so desperate to be able to do this that I was willing to come back and endure the torture. I mean, yeah. essentially for me, life up to that point in time revolved around being tortured. Mm-hmm. It was going from one torture to another torture to another torture. And the only respite that I would have from torturing was would be when I was working. So work, for me, was the most important thing in the universe. Right. And the ability to communicate was only secondary. So as long as I was allowed to work, then I was willing to endure the, the tortures uh, that were around the rest of being alive. Right. Now, let me ask you a question, and this may be a yeah. tough question, uh, and if you don't want to answer it, that's fine, too. Um, going through this kind of abuse from your father, your brothers yeah. who expressed this all the time, uh, your mother who always stood behind you and who just accepted you for who you were, uh, the torture of the therapies, the, 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 the doing your best to hide all this must have left a tremendous emotional mark, emotional pain on you, that in this day and age, uh, it's very popular to go to therapy and work these things out. I can also see that you have become so passionate about discovering your uh, learning disabilities that you have taken the bull by the horns and literally gone with it and say, this is my mission in life, this is what I need to do, especially after the age of 36, 37, when we'll talk about your time from 19 to, to 36. But after you discovered that you couldn't read and that you went for learning how to read and communicate, etc., etc., um, you may have just decided, you know what, I'm not going to look back. I'm going to sweep it under the rug. Whatever happened, happened. All these emotional feelings and pain and, and, and whatever came up is, is, is past. Um, and I'm just going with what I need to do to help millions of children who are dealing with this and adults who deal with this because that is what I need to do in life and not do a pity party. Uh, have yeah. you gone through the emotional work to deal with this or is this something you had to sweep under the rug till today? Uh, I have... I have spent a lot of time in therapy, primarily trying to to deal with the rage of my father and the beatings that I had when I was younger. Now, fortunately, the most of the beatings, I was still in a, a state of being unaware. Okay. So I do not remember the worst of it. Okay. Now, there's evidence of 27 broken bones in my body that happened from beatings from my father. Wow. And... and Luckily, most of that occurred at a point in time when my memory wasn't actually, wasn't even working. So I, I don't remember all of this occurring. Now, the latter part of it, yeah, I do remember. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I have a very profound belief in God. Mm-hmm. And in my <clears throat> endeavors, I realized that, you know, uh, I am supposed to honor my mother and my my father and how do you honor someone who is who has been a, a raging maniac around you 
How do you do that? So yeah. I I was willing to to endure a lot of therapies, and you know th- there would be times in in the therapy when I, I would I would actually say, well, I forgive you, I but it, behind the scene I knew that it wasn't true. I see. And it, it, the, the forgiveness actually occurred outside of a therapy situation. <laughs> it was after the breakthrough had happened, and my wife and I, when when all of it happened, had been retired from real estate. We were very, very fortunate to have uh, a, a good financial nest egg sitting there, yet I started to fund the Reading Research Council. And we were running out of money, so we were selling that the home that we were living in, and, and it was while I was preparing the house. I went up on a on a ladder, painting the eaves of of uh, a two story home. Yeah, and I realized that I was trying to forgive my father, and the person that I really needed to forgive first was myself. Oh wow! Yeah, because I was the one that was having the feeling. And I was the one that was reacting to the feelings that, you know, the the feeling isn't now. You know, the reason for that feeling happened a long time ago, yet I'm now reacting. I'm still reacting to something that happened a long time ago. So I needed to to be able to let that part of it go. Mm -hmm. And with the forgiveness of myself, that's what happened, that that got let go. And by the time I climbed down off that ladder, I had forgiven everyone <laughs> for everything, essentially. And uh, at this point in time, because I had now discovered that I wasn't a mistake, I was I was still in the earliest stages of trying to live being really who I was, which was something that it was, this was very alien to me, because I was so used to pretending to be somebody else. Yeah. That now that it's okay to just be who I am, uh, that <laughs> it was not an easy transition to make. Yeah. But at this point in time, because there's nothing that I'm trying to hide. Yeah. There, there's no secret that that you could know about me that 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 would would shame me. Mm. I can just be who I am, and and, and that is the wonderful thing. Right, and I, I, I take it that in all your work that you do and giving lectures and working one-on-one with with children and people and adults, that because you have done your work, this is something that you probably will share with them as you're doing the, your therapy with them. Uh, indeed, but you know, the, the, the therapy isn't about me. The therapy is about the person that is sitting there. No, I realize that, but well, I feel um, that yeah. you probably want to tell them that this will be an important part of their healing and of their, their growth. Yeah, when when we first started, when we first started working with individuals that had dyslexia, before, well, we had been working and working and working trying to get somebody through it, and then finally one day somebody finished mastering their word list, which we'll talk about later, but that that signaled that they were they had corrected their dyslexia. We were wanting to do something special for this person, so what we did is we put their name up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and and that actually became a tradition. Yeah, that when when somebody would finish their program, their name would get put up on the wall. And I made it uh, a requirement in the early days that in order for the name to go up there, they would have to forgive everybody that has ever treated them unjustly or unfairly because of their dyslexia. Uh-huh. That they would have to forgive them for that. And there were an awful lot of adults, especially, that could not do that yet. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that, that I had put a restriction or a requirement there that had nothing actually to do with correcting the dyslexia. So eventually we, we, we stopped doing that. I see. Uh-huh. But uh, the younger ones, it was easy for them to say, yeah, they, they didn't understand what was going on. you know. But the, the older ones that had been really tortured by the educational system, yeah. they were the ones that, that would find difficulty in trying to forgive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, I, I didn't want to totally distract you from all your, your great stories, but I, I was thinking about this and I felt this probably must have been a this must have been an important part of your of your life in the last several decades dealing with this. Um, I know we're coming closer to the end of the second hour and we, we are looking forward to talking to you again in the third hour. Um yeah. The you after you let you you, were, you you started working you started teaching calculus at the age of nineteen so after right. everything you gone through you taught calculus and then you started working in a military program working as an engineer on missiles and uh, when you had uh, you were working the missiles you realized that you were actually making instruments that would kill people and you decided to just walk away you literally just walked away from it is that correct. That's essentially what happened, you know. Uh, uh, it was a, a very difficult point in time because I had not yet realized the the degree to which I was actually hurting other individuals. Yes. And that that realization came came later, but I was reacting. In other words, the universe that I was living in it was saying, "Oh, you're doing this." But I had not yet come to grips with the idea that okay, I'm hurting people. Well, but it we, was after. <laughs> yeah, when we come back, Ron, I'm I'm sorry. When we come back, we like to finish that story and uh, your trip to San Francisco and your your success after that, and then we like to talk more about what you do on your website, dyslexia.com, dyslexia.com. So, folks, stay tuned for Ron Davis and Elsie Johnson. That we'll be right back. <laughs> 